Guys, welcome to the Ground Floor Podcast, the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is very exciting one. We have the founders of Why Hangry. We have Heinen Zhang and Sidi Mattel. They founded Why Hangry, which is essentially a premium chef service, but targeted at the everyday consumer. So it's a private chef service. After making it through Google's iconic female founders program, they then got successful investment from Dragon's Den, and the company's been doing incredibly well ever since. So guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, very excited to be here. So, Why Hangry? Sort of take a couple of minutes, take us to the beginning. What is it and how did it get started? Why Hangry is a private chef marketplace. I know you already mentioned what we are, but we are essentially Airbnb for chefs. Whether it's a birthday party, you're on holiday, or you don't want to cook for Christmas, you can book a chef to do the cooking for you so you can sit back and relax. And I think where this came from, I'm from India, Heinen's from China, German Chinese and we grew up in areas where getting food or having cooks was relatively normal like people understood cool like actually this need of me having great food at home can be met yeah, mm, yeah. rather than just like delivery which is like kind of a subpar option yeah, yeah, yeah. then I went to New York she's been in Germany London here the concept just does not exist and private chef if you think of the word just thinks my god so crazy like for normal person it's not even in their vocabulary mm-hmm. and for us that's the gap we spotted we were like wow actually there's so much there and people have all these needs can we meet this together with a platform that makes it very easy yeah, and accessible yeah like normal people should normal people should be able to say cool <laughs> yeah. i can become a private consumer every day consumer and yeah. i think how i define that is someone if i just ask someone what do you think a private chef costs they're like i don't know yeah yeah I could never use it. What is this? Yeah. yeah. And I think we're trying to kind of break that down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think because I saw when I was when I was looking into the company that when you were doing your initial research, you saw the average pli- pr- uh, price was around sort of a hundred pounds a head. And then when you did it yourselves, you got it to somehow 17 pounds if it was a group of, let's say, six people, which is remarkable. Because as you said, I would never have even dreamed that that could be possible for someone like me. And that's amazing. So since we started in 2019, actually, we now have a range of chefs. So initially, when we started, we were working in finance. We love having our friends over. We hate having to spend time in the kitchen, not being able to be present with those friends. Mm. And that kind of like sparked a lot of this. And what we initially did is obviously like onboard certain chefs to fill the certain need that we had, which was kind of affordable, casual. At a very specific price point of 17 pounds per person. Exactly. And then... Since we have been on Dragon's Den and since we actually started working with some more renowned chefs, we now have a um, pretty wide range of chefs. So there is almost something for everyone, whether you're hosting a very casual like um, Saturday night dinner with with your flatmates and you want to spend like 17, 20 per person or you're hosting your parents 70th birthday dinner and you want a chef who's been on MasterChef, the professionals, who's going to create some of the dishes that they cooked on TV. We have that as well. But that obviously is more expensive. So unlike some other platforms that we didn't want to use in the past, which only focused on like a certain niche, quite expensive, didn't speak to us, we now offer something which I guess Uber does in a way. And I don't use Uber that much anymore but right. i was a fervent u- user of UberX. Right, however yeah. um if i ever wanted to use like a different range because i was going somewhere really special i would have the option to do so so i think that segmentation is something that we kind of are looking at doing so i'll okay. summarize what heinen is saying we started for 17 pounds per person and now the range is very broad it starts right. all the way from like 15 20 it goes up to people paying 250 per person yeah. but ultimately super customizable and when you okay. realize actually 
I'm have I can have 50 people do this barbecue what should be the right price? It just yeah. depends on like people, yeah, what do you want? Do you want delivery? Do you want, yeah. So it's just really, we've opened up the range. Yeah, so yeah. now the goal is to just match people to whatever they want to, to overcome this need to have food rather than yeah. fixate on what you would be paying. Sure, sure. So when you so when you first started then, I know you both of you were working in investment banking at Barclays, is that right? That's how you two met. Um, and so where did the, firstly, the idea come from? As you mentioned, touched on it earlier, but if you go into that a bit more detail, it'd be helpful. And then also the figure of 17 pounds specifically, where did that come from? <laughs> I just do want to laugh. It's like, God, the beginnings are so blurry, I think. So from the idea was sparked because Heinen and I, met on the trading floor. She was this incredible salesperson, youngest salesperson to cover hedge fund sales, all of German clients. And I was a trader and we kind of like spoke a lot. And we were like, oh, always argued a lot. <laughs> yeah, in the best way. And we were always kind of actually whining about like having to go back and like just order delivery, go to restaurants with friends. And yeah. coming from where we came from, we were like, damn, we're just never at home. So food was always like this thing that came up in conversations. Mm. And then we went on this trip where Heinen took us to Germany um, to meet some clients. We got into this like deep, meaningful conversation in a hotel room at 1 a.m. And we were like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, this makes so much more sense. This idea is so much bigger than what we're doing currently. We really need to test it out. And that was like the initial seed of it. We were like, wow, there is a problem. We understand chefs are there. We understand the range of the chefs. Chefs are not making like a million dollars. Like yeah. pe what people's expectation of a private chef is, is fully different to what it is. You can hire a chef just to give a range of cost is like a day hire could be anywhere from hundred pounds all the way to thousands. Mm. And people don't understand, wow, I can get a chef a day for like hundred pounds, 150. They could yeah, do everything yeah. for me. Oh. And I think initially the understanding was let's just grab that bit of the market the lowest serve and connected to um, people. And that was the initial bit of where, yeah, we were like, right, there's a gap. We understand the market. Let's okay. go and test yeah. it. So how did you initially start actually attracting chefs to the platform? Because I think everybody can agree that actually the chef's career is incredibly demanding. So trying to find time mm -hmm. to, to do something like this, either and you know along the side of doing a full-time job or maybe in their own time. Um, how did you actually start attracting chefs to your platform? I think there are a few different channels. I think we were um, doing everything that's super unscalable, whether it was going into Facebook groups, stalking people on Instagram, okay. going to restaurants that have a counter and then trying to hand our card to the chef. So by any means, exactly. basically by. any, literally any means. And we um, started somehow getting the first couple of chefs who were re like responsive, um, had calls with them. And then we just thought, right in order to be relevant and f to make them interested, because yes, chefs are very busy and they have um, tough hours, but chefs earn very little in mm. those commercial settings. It's relatively close to minimum pay per hour. Yeah. So they're actually very interested to make some additional income in their free time when they're not on a shift, whether that's um, on a weekend, whether that's like a Thursday evening, whenever really. So they are open to making more money. So then we, on the demand side, started reaching out to our friends. Okay. And we started forcing them a little bit <laughs> to try um, booking a chef, whether it was for meal prep, whether it was for dinner party, yeah. just, hey, we have got these amazing chefs. Why don't you book someone, pay for them and give us some feedback? And to give you an idea of what our day one to 30 looked like, we had one chef, his name was Jelu. 
Um, Aurelian. <laughs> no, Jalo Aurelian. Yeah, both. Oh, both. Yes. And on the customer side, we created PDFs and that listed us a list of dishes, which actually didn't include any British dish because we're very um. Okay. What's the it word? Was like the most ethnic? eclectic. Um, <laughs> like pad thai was on there, aloo bhaji was on there, but like none of the mainstream stuff. Okay. And then we just sent that PDF around to chefs. We were like, here, is, not chefs, sorry, because our friends at yeah. work and our peers and colleagues, and we were like, hey, did you know you can get a chef? The total is like something like 100 pounds or something. They'll come make this food. You can store it in your fridge. If you want to book it, just WhatsApp us. And then okay. the next step was we created a like really terrible form and we were like, oh, actually, why don't you fill in this form? Yeah. Once you fill in this form, we'll come back to you. So that was literally like probably the first two months. So in terms of nitty gritty, it really was going into Canva, designing the, the most basic menu, okay. sending that. And then the next step was using Airtable for a form to have our first kind of booking system where you could also and city you did an amazing job there automate a few things messages to chefs the chef database was, was also an air table customer database was there so the first confirmation emails or sms were all sent through Airtable. okay flipping different stages yes okay so at what point did you start investing money into the business i think from day one no we had to like pay to use certain things but I mean, I guess, so do you want to clarify a question? What kind of money? Yeah. So okay, so any, so it's not, sure. Any, anything. Yeah, what was the startup capital? Yeah. Uh, 10K. Yeah, okay. I think that's like a ballpark and that's right. Because Hein and I together were like, let's transfer a little bit of money in this bank. And yeah. then, but we were chipping away very slowly. Like in Canva, we picked a logo and we saved one pound because it was like free. Okay. We were like, who needs to pay one pound to get a hat? That's crazy. Yeah. Let's yeah. just get the free one. <laughs> we're testing anyway. Right, yes. I'm with you. 10k that's all it takes that's all it takes to start a business that's amazing we were very lean yeah and i think so to answer that question at what point did we actually get to saying who we should invest and why was that investment made that was probably like a very initial very small friends and family round but that was because people were like right we had customers at that point let's say few tens and then we were getting some feedback and we were like right actually this makes sense but this like system is not working because like no one's going to land on that that's external and order mm-hmm. so at the point we needed to upgrade the platform to a point where we wanted to attract an outside person who didn't know us personally yeah. we were like right okay whatever that cost is and our first website was quite cheap it came out of india and like okay. we just got an agency it actually cost us like two care or less because we were quite involved but it's like right cool that was the first version then the second version came and we were like this just does not work anymore mm-hmm. it's actually horrifying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like it was totally cool until it was horrifying and then we invested again it really was these like tiny steps there was this air table form hosted on this like basically our domain <laughs> yeah and then there's a pug the... on it <laughs> there's a little dog and then it was cute it was adorable actually <laughs> i think we can probably dig out some pictures and then we um used canva again to create like the website ui because neither um you now you know how to use Figma, but at the point we didn't use it. So we were like, okay, this is what it should look like. Yeah. Had that agency, then it looked amazing. After a couple of weeks, we realized, oh, well, actually it looks quite bad. And because we kind of like slowly outgrew the UI where we yep. realized, oh, we need to look a bit more professional, a bit more better. So then we actually threw out um, through the Google for Startups program, we met um, this really young, great, talented designer who was working at Google and taking some time to help startups. So he actually did a um, project for us at a very discounted mates rate so he actually lifted the ui for us still the same backend that the indian guys build and then it's just basically like was happening very slowly yeah. but bit by bit as okay. and when we realized oh i think we outgrew 
we're outgrowing this a little bit. I think we need to look a little bit better, a little bit more professional. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'd say we're, sorry. Just no, 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 please. <laughs> just to finish, I think we're very pragmatic. So we've never been like, oh my God, we need this big overhaul. But to give a context, we've already been through, I think, six of those iterations. Okay. I can't even keep track. Like sometimes I'm like, wow, that's what we did. If we take random snapshots and there's a tool on the internet that does it, it's fully unrecognizable. Okay. But it just means like every moment, it's not, you're not trying to get to like the last stage. Yeah, there's yeah. never going to be a last stage. Yeah. But yeah, but in retrospect, you should be probably horrified by what you did before. Right. Okay. Which I think that's a good point. Yeah. Um, in terms of the chefs, so I'm quite curious. So obviously, when you're approaching chefs at the very beginning, you're obviously approaching people who are already employed to that degree. Is it a case where you say, this is what our business is? Would you be happy to do the occasional sort of daily freelance work as and when it comes in? What's your availability like? And then kind of gauging from there? So look, chefs. Heinen mentioned the most important point. As a whole industry, there is a lot of variation, but chefs in restaurants have a very difficult life and don't get paid. Yeah. So when people, you read all these articles, oh, there's a dearth of chef supply, it's because you're trying to get chefs at the same cost to another job. Obviously, there's not enough people. Yeah. And this is where people we come from markets. Like we understand there is a price elasticity. What if you raise the price? Of course, you'll have supply. If you raise the price again, you'll have more supply. Obvious. So for us, it's not, it's very easy. Hey, do you want to earn money? This is what we do. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, interested. Let's chat. Mm. As simple as that. Because cooking as a skill is so versatile. You can cook in a restaurant, in a commercial kitchen. You can cook as a private chef. You can cook at home and deliver food. You can uh, cook for private dining, for dinner parties, or you can actually cook for holidays <laughs> where the client flies you out to Ibiza. So mm. if you are able to make delicious food, there's a, there's a demand. Yes, there's a demand. Yeah, exactly. did, did you set out with a, an initial sort of number of like, we need X amount of chefs to kind of get off the ground running? And then when a job comes in, how did you determine what chef got the job? It's actually the very simple way is at the beginning, we had very few chefs because it's always about who wants it. A chef can do five bookings, six bookings, 10 bookings. Like you give it all and you become very relevant. Mm. So we weren't worried about scaling chefs. We were like, awesome, like this side we will do. Yeah. So first, we just tested the demand side, and that's when we realized people wanted like this and that, and we were like, cool, changing stuff around. And then we started to add chefs after, like, let's say, the initial period. And to your point, how did we think of matching? Obviously, now there's so many factors, but I guess if we talk about like month two, month three, if we have four or five chefs, distance, yeah. cuisine, who does yeah. that better, yeah. who's like closer, who's free, I think some of these basic variables but i think initially it's very simple it's only when you start scaling you have load more bookings when you that only you have worry. one or two chefs it's like who's great free? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay you do it yeah, 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 yeah. exactly it's like really let's not complicate it Got you. it was very easy yeah it, the hard part is figuring out what how sure what do they want okay. yeah and do you remember how much of that initial 10k was spent on things like marketing branding how did you acquire your first customers that weren't just friends of friends or friends of family <laughs> love the story of first customer there's some like i love first customer stories <laughs> okay this is my story and i think heinen potentially remembers it differently however we had someone randomly pop out on our website and place an order and at this point i like fell off my chair i was like oh my god our website's been discovered like we've not paid anything in marketing we didn't under like no google ads were running at that point nothing and this person has somehow found our website and placed an order and obviously at this point it was not integrated with stripe or any payment methods but a form came through that wasn't anyone we knew and yeah. we were like this is crazy that must have been a good moment yeah yeah actually the first one they didn't respond the second one and then we gave them back a price which was like way too low now in retrospect every founder makes this mistake they price themselves way too low 
However, we did that. They came back and got confirmed. And it was like a Hindu. It was like bachelorette. Yeah. And the next day, I remember whenever this event happened, I remember we woke up and Instagram was blowing up because there were these eight eight influencers that ended up booking. And everyone was like, yeah, like check this out. Why hungry? And I remember that day being like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is (laughs) insane. And I I was like, wow. Like 1,000 followers (laughs) to like 3,000, 4,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Overnight. Well, because it was eight multiplied by eight, yeah, yeah. it's hilarious because it was like a false positive, right? I was like, wow, every day is going to be like this. And it's <laughs> just going to be a unicorn like yeah. within half a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was questionable. However, that was our first customer. But that's when we realized, cool, actually, like they went on Instagram, that increased their follower count. Yeah, cool, yeah. something worked. Sure. And so, uh, again, going back to marketing and branding, do you remember kind of what percentage of the money you wanted to allocate towards that? And do you remember what when you first started doing sort of paid avenues, what you were using? So we went with the low hanging fruit, which was Google and Facebook, yeah, mm-hmm. as well as then um, gifting some influencers. So those were the three channels that we started with. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the split, we probably spl- um, spend around half on product. And then the other half on marketing, because we just like tested them with a small daily budget, switched it on and off when we realized like stuff is working or isn't working. So it was very much like slow and like steady and kind of like testing and seeing results and then like adjusting on like literally like very, very small scale budgets. Right. Yeah. Okay. And in just just quickly, in terms of that sort of logistically, when it comes to actually placing an order, so is it a case where let's say the customer would place an order, the order would come through to you guys, you'd let the chef know. Does the chef then go out and buy all of the ingredients? Okay. So are we talking- It's notified immediately. So we're talking now. Let's talk about the model now. We've been through multiple iterations. Okay. Let's talk about the latest model. Yeah. The latest model. Yeah. So like the, um, the chefs create their own menus that's one way um, of getting booked or the chefs can respond to requests. Right. So there are two ways because there are customers who like to browse and see the food and then decide, okay, this is the menu I want. Oh, the starters, the, these tacos and this dessert, it looks amazing. That's exactly what I want for this Mexican fiesta party. Or they know that they are having um, a f- whatever celebration and their mom loves um, Korean and they just want something very specific. So they give their postcode, the date, and um, choose the cuisine. And then that request will go out to the chefs serving that postcode who will do Korean. And there's actually a third way. You can also browse through all of the chefs and say, oh, actually, maybe let me browse through Michelin chefs, master chefs, or different, and be like, I actually like this chef specifically. I see how many people are viewing them. And then just book and start speaking to that specific chef. We've clearly gone through like a lot of changes. As every business does when there's something out, right? very exciting yeah yeah and yeah, you need no, to go no. through those changes yes. you, you mentioned earlier about uh, a connection you had at google which i think is a really nice segue into the fact that you were part of google's female founders program which is huge so can you sort of take me through through that and how you got into it and how it came about you sent the application i don't even know how you found out about the program so i don't remember the application all i remember is heinen saying we have an interview let's jump online bikes i was like i don't bike across london (laughs) and we were like zooming through these bikes to get to the interview and i was like today is the day you decided that we do something new (laughs) and we got to this interview i think the way we found out i was a part of the google campus community and a lot of stuff has changed there first they had a physical office 
And at some point, they just like launched the very first ever cohort application. And we were still at Barclays. However, for us, as we were leaving, we were like, let's de-risk by applying to as much as possible. And it was equity free. So we were like, yeah. awesome. Mm, that speaks to us. Uh, like, yeah. Just for anyone listening, can you explain what the Google Campus community is? Yes. So... It is just a community where, so Google is a huge corporation and they just want to support startups. Ultimately, they see benefits. It's like great PR for them. And they've created a really cool ecosystem. So there's a Slack group. I don't fully know now. It's still a Slack group, I believe. But first, it was actually a physical location. But now they've shut down that building. However, they still have different female cohorts happening across London, Israel, Berlin. So I think if you go on the website, you'll find information. It's always worth joining because everything's free and you meet all these people. And that was like literally our beginning. So we this application but i guess what i'll say to this is there's actually a lot of accelerators now and i'm yeah. google was a great one equity free but it's like the point for us at the beginning was let's just apply mm. and if we get in it'll just like expedite our learning process rather than us very slowly go at it looking back at it what do you think you got out of the accelerator program great network and guidance i think as first-time founders it was just amazing to have not just office space, which it provided at the time, but nine other companies in similar stages who are going through the same thing, like product development, first website, first hire, um, <coughs> testing marketing channels, having a weekly founder stand-up mm. w- that was uh, moderated by Marta Krupinska, who was the head of Google for Startups at the time, was incredible because she just asked all the relevant questions. Mm. What, are you s- what did you struggle with last week? Or mm. what can anyone like help you with and then there's this open forum Mm. i don't know how we would have done without that yeah i i fully agree and the other bit of network was because we were getting connected to people for example on the tech side someone who's like working in cloud solutions architect at google great like stuff you will say in one conversation Mm. is what will take months to figure out the person heinen said he literally changed the look of our website there was someone who recommended someone who just for two days redid the entire UI, which meant we went from this like yellow page with cartoons on it, which is so bizarre, to like a proper, clean, real photos, real people. And first to me was very jarring. I was like, why did we remove the cartoons? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that just goes to show that it's just like we were in such a little bubble as traders and like on like a finance floor switching that we're like, what's going on? So these guys really just like, yeah, I think we became something from nothing. Yeah. For any women listening who might have an idea for a business, maybe they're sort of they haven't sort of started it yet, or maybe they already already have. Um, what advice would you give in terms of maybe going through the female founders program and sort of any tips you might give, or you know maybe when you're too early or too late, or? I wouldn't say that there is a too early. No. I mm. would say the earlier the better. Yeah. And apply to everything possible. Because I remember Hein and I, oh God, we applied to Techstars before, as our idea came into our mind, we were like, we're applying to Techstars. And that video... Actually, there can be too early. <laughs> I take that back. Yeah. Oh my God, I just died. And that video, one day we will drop it, even though Heinen doesn't want to. It's it so, so funny. Right. And it's like in my home and we're throwing this money and we're juggling balls and we're doing like little dances Skipping around things. through. What and we just thought there was this like this really cool story we put together. It was It's bizarre. However, <laughs> However, that application gave, like, every time you write an application, it really allows you to be like, shit, actually, what is the market size? What Mm. is the problem I'm trying to solve? Like, what is? And every time you do that, you're really honing your skill. And for us, like, we did Y Combinator last year. And that's, like, the biggest and the best accelerator in the world. And I think that's a fact. And for that, when we did that application, it's like, how far did we come from Techstars, Google for Startups, 
to Y Combinator. It's yeah, insane. Yeah. And it really helps you be like, this is what we're doing. It helps you sell yourself. So I think just the process in itself is amazing. And then what you get out of any of these programs, especially really early on, mm. if you are a first time founder, yeah, no, it's definitely. probably insane. And you were still at Barclays at this point. Is that right? <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> yeah. how, did, how, how did you manage to juggle that out of interest? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I love those stories. Like just the flashback is amazing. Yeah, I mean, do either of you use Bloomberg? No. Or I've used it in the past. Okay, we used to have fine. it in my old office running, yeah. Yeah, I just remember, I mean, we started Why Hangry. We told our compliance officer nothing was related to what we were doing. Yeah. Like Mistake. a food and chef platform. And then um, it just became something that you started talking um, to clients about as well. It's like, oh, what were you doing? on the weekend or how are you? Like, I mean, at that mm. point we were taking our laptops into work and then going in Canary Wharf and going to Starbucks after work to work on Why Hangry. And then at some point I remember our bosses took us into an office, both of us together. It was like, when I went in, she was Wait, already there. Wait, let, let me explain this. You're gonna like skip part the hilarious bits. <laughs> okay, so I I see getting co myself called into a room and I was like, that's really weird. As traders and salespeople, you can shout at each other on the floor yeah, yeah, yeah. and get her over with. Yeah. You don't go into a room. That like bad everything's yeah. public and everything's public like whatever uh however i was like oh gosh and then i saw hein with like a very straight face also walking towards and i was like oh my god what's gonna happen and then we went into the room and then they were like right so this is just really guys this is very serious and we were like okay what's up mm. they're like so this is so embarrassing instead of selling bonds <laughs> just cracks me up our job is to buy and sell bonds sure instead of doing that like you are talking about why angry to everyone like there's a transcript for Heinen speaking to our ex-boss at Goldman Sachs asking to borrow his baby for, <laughs> for like a photo shoot uh, okay. and they're like <laughs> they're I'm like, so glad you added a caveat <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And then we're doing a cooking platform. Yeah. We're borrowing children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there are these 200 pages like where you mentioned the name. I just sat there and I looked at them and I was like, we're going to be very honest here. All the men talk about sports fucking all the time, yeah. right? That's yeah. how they bond with clients. Yeah. How the fuck do you care what we talk about? We're, I'm talking about dancing. No one cares about dancing. I dance. That's useless. I'm telling them what I'm doing after work. Mm. I didn't ask a single client to book. I'm sharing my ideas and asking them what they think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously then they're like, okay, okay, fine but like you guys are coming in a little bit later <laughs> and this is things like Heinen was meant to order groceries and instead of <laughs> instead of the customer's place she ordered it to Barclays so then we were like holy shit all these groceries <laughs> are here and then someone no 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 actually I accidentally <laughs> ordered them to my home oh, yeah. and the booking was that day and it was close to her home so I took all the groceries <laughs> to into the office gave them to her uh, and, and then okay, took fine. them home and, and then, at this point it was quite obvious basically yeah. what you guys were doing so you just walk, but the thing is it wasn't in. because yeah. when someone sees you with groceries I was like yeah I'm so sorry I just accidentally ordered my home groceries here and I was like yeah that's really that, fucking that's weird. a lot of cauliflower though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could serve 14 people yeah, exactly. that's a lot of <laughs> so, yeah so I don't know what your question was but those days were very funny because I yeah. think we did everything to actually do everything at work but we were like let's take those extra 30 minutes in the morning yeah. every evening I remember going to Heinen's place in Westminster and we were like we're just gonna work on this we're gonna create plans just execute every weekend was devoted to this it was a very exciting time but what that meant was the more excited we got about this yeah. the more we wanted to like leave work at 5 30 even sure. though like you then go for a client meeting and all this stuff and mm. we were like Tch. and then at some point when this big meeting happened I remember walking out and I just like started pissing myself. I was like, honey, I'm going to quit tomorrow. This is so ridiculous. Really? That, that was what? funny because I was going to ask, at what point did you actually? Yeah, that, that was, was my next question. That accelerated. So we okay. always knew. It was that 
eureka moment where we realized we can't juggle both for much longer. Yeah. And clearly we're more excited about why hangry. So I wasn't, I think we both decided that day that we're going to quit, but I was going to go on holiday to China, literally like the day after. So I didn't want yeah. to say like, okay, resignation and bye. I'm yeah, off yeah, on holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of I'll do the notice and have I mean, we're going to get bro- like, we're going to live a broke founder's life, right? You might as well get 15 days worth of excess salary. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah, no, yeah, fair enough. So when did the actual decision come to leave? And was it based on sort of a financial number? Was it based on just gut impulse or sort of one day just woke up and said so yes, that day it. that day when the meeting happened was like literally i i'm pretty i quit the next day okay oh you did actually wow. quit the yeah next day. but also yeah. i wow. think in the run-up to it i think the things that we haven't spoken <laughs> that's hilarious that that was like meeting and then when i quit i remember them being like no no no, wait do you need more money i was like no <laughs> i just don't want to do yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. like i can't do this it's not about more money it's very funny and counterintuitive however a couple months before when we had started working on it i remember us kind of looking at each other being like cool what what is it? So are we going to quit? And I think there was, there was a lot of psychological barrier about leaving a paycheck. And for me, I was like, oh my God, like my parents are in India and I'm sure similar stuff with you, but it's like, how can I live here and not have a paycheck? Mm. What does that mean? We did have savings because we did get paid decently well in finance or in trading. And I think for both of us, it was very important to make sure our dads that are entrepreneurs, businessmen to be like, cool, we back you, let's go. Okay. We needed that validation. Okay. So I remember she went back to China, I went back to India, and individually we were like having this communication and it went very differently actually, your conversation with your dad, mine with my dad. But once they all got on the same page, we were like, actually we're ready. Like we know they back us. To touch on that, how did it go differently? Whose dad said what? I like your story, you go first. So a um, bit of background, both our uh, parents are entrepreneurial, started their own businesses. And um, when I told my dad that I want to quit and work on Why Hangry full-time, obviously they knew that it was like a side hustle. He was like, yeah, no pressure, no diamonds. That makes a lot of sense. Just do it and see where it goes. And you'll it's always be phrase. able to Hell get yeah. <laughs> I love that. No phrase. pressure, no diamonds. Yeah, I love that phrase. You know, it's really Clip crazy. That. I <laughs> hadn't heard it or seen it anywhere yeah. before. I've never heard that before. And then the other day, one of my friends shared like a quote that was um, written in a coffee shop somewhere in Notting Hill, which had no pressure, no <laughs> Oh, diamond. really? Oh, and wow. Okay. The story, I was like, oh my God, Timur, where is this? Yeah, like, yeah. And it's, I forgot the name of the cafe, but I was like, holy shit, I've never seen it yeah, anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, apparently, um, I might've mentioned in another podcast, maybe that inspired okay. them. I just <laughs> want to find uh, out. It's okay, manifestation, it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your dad was really supportive. And on the flip side, my dad is like also super entrepreneurial has seen like all the volatility highs and lows he when i remember when i started off in trading and you still earn a pretty decent salary he was like Mm. is that what you're gonna earn for the rest of your life that's not good enough figure out a business and i was like god i've just come through like i just don't know of course Uh, i need to start and then at the point where i asked him hey by the way i want to quit what do you think he was like but you're earning so much. You're so, <laughs> you're so stable. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. the context was that my older sister had already had a startup and like there were loads of volatility yeah. ups and lows. And he was like, oh my God, my second. Yeah. But you're already so stable. And at that point I looked at him and I was like, actually, fair enough. So either I start this or I'm going to go to MBA and I'm going to have I'm gonna have to ask you to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> at that <laughs> point he supported yeah. the move, right? Yeah, he okay. looked and he's like, yeah, okay, you can give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give yeah. it a go. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, an MBA yeah. in US is not what you want to pay for. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. So you go through the Google Female Founders Program. The business is now kind of up and running at this point. You're getting clients in and you're doing some business. Dragon's Den, how did that come about? Actually, we got scouted for it. 
Amazing. Really? So okay. So we got an email from... It sounds so cool every time you say it like that. I'm like, I, I feel so cool. From <laughs> Dragon's Den scouted me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you still have to go through an application yeah. process. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think it's just formality. Okay, <laughs> right, of course. They already decided. Yeah. But um, I remember that email that came into, I think, info at whyhangry.com. And... I don't know whether you saw it first or I saw it first, but whoever saw it was like, is this a scam? We're the same person, yeah. <laughs> we literally couldn't believe it. I was like, but th the email does say at bbc.co.uk. So I think this is real. So we responded saying, yeah, we'd be up for a call. Spoke to someone, it was super legit. Then um, basically got sent the application form and to pro provide like certain DD documents. Yeah. Did all of that and that's then when we decided that yeah we'll we'll go on it's a macro picture this was like in the pits of covid and everything was terrible like life was terrible because like covid you can't meet chefs yeah. are falling sick and there's we were doing whatever we could and at this point well not at this point we've always just said yes to every opportunity like we mm. have you don't get 100 percent of the shots you don't take we take all the shots yeah and at this point, we were like, yes, because, and this was a, this process, and I remember going to Manchester for audition when, like, the worst lockdown started. Everyone was leaving Manchester, and we were going to okay, November, the, the day the second lockdown started yes. in the UK. 5th of wow, November, okay. The terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, is the day so when really we actually went to Manchester. COVID. Lots of due diligence, had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. Literally, it was crazy so many months, but yeah. we just kept saying, yeah, 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 and then we recorded, and then you still don't know if you're going to air, yeah. and then it's actually almost the delay is like six, seven months, and then they tell you, okay. and then 2021 it airs, but you've done everything yeah, yeah, basically the year before, or six months before. And so had you, sorry, had you decided before you actually went on whether you wanted investment, or was it just more for publicity? I, think I don't know if you, if you can now say that. You wanted investment. Yeah, because okay. we just thought that they can open so many doors mm. with their relationships. And at the time, now going back into our legacy model, we were working with or we were using Ocado and Waitrose to, for the groceries. So we thought a partnership with them would be amazing. So we definitely went in thinking that it'll be amazing to have them on board, given they have relationships with these yeah. high street um, supermarkets, getting product stock and so on. What could they do for us? Mm. It's just like after all of that, when we reevaluated, it didn't make sense. But that doesn't mean that these people don't add value. Yeah, of course. No, of yeah. course. So did the deal fall through then? With, was it Peace Jones? I think you got the offer from. And Tej Lavani. And Tej Lavani, wasn't it? Okay, fine. So that so that the numbers didn't add it up. It was then. cool because we said we wanted them both, and we did. Yeah. So they looped that in very cute. Yeah, that, that was very. So before the episode, or before we went into the um, the den, they filmed me. It was like, what are you expecting? Who are the dragons you want? Yeah. And she said Peter and Tej. Okay, right. I don't think they knew that. <laughs> they, they didn't know that, no. No. Yeah, I think we just had a very gentleman's handshake or yeah. gentlewoman's handshake and say, actually, like, you know, what can you do? Let us think about it. Actually, that's way too high for this. Mm. Like, let's just walk away. And they were very good about it. Yeah. Okay. But then we still emailed Hedge from time to time. Okay. I mean, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bit, of, bit of free consulting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, hey, we've done this. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you were quite vocal about um, startup accelerators and how great and sort of important they were for you coming up what would you say about stuff like dragon's den would that be something you'd recommend to people starting a business now oh yeah definitely i think not only i mean one of the things that happened is that we got our shit together mm. because the bbc due diligence um is super like thorough it's the first time yeah, that we went imagine. through something like that 
And it's like they'd ask really stuff good. and be like, oh my God, we should do that in our business. Yes. Yeah, They're yeah, asking, yeah. so we must do it. Let's yeah, go do okay. that. One of our previous guests was actually on Dragon's Den. They got all five offers and he was saying how that was the first time where they said, you know, they asked for this and audits of this and that because they have to make sure you're not a scam if they're going to yeah, have on national TV. Yes. And he said, so the exact same thing you're saying. He said, we now have to come up with all these numbers, which were real, but we just never had had to pull them up before. And it's just a, a, so much work behind it. So yeah. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't compare it to an accelerator program because the value you mm -hmm. get from let's say having office hours with YC partners, like <coughs> it's not quite the same kind of comparison. However, what Dragon Sen or generally having that type of publicity or gives you is experience pitching under high pressure. Mm. I think now when we pitch to investors or speak to anyone, I don't think anything can compare to pitching in front of camera with it potentially being aired on TV and shown to like millions of people. Mm. So I think that takes away, that becomes like a high watermark and any other pitch, any other conversation is just like, oh, whatever. It's like a Zoom or it's like a chat. And there's a very big and real PR boost. Like that's just unpaid PR that you can't buy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you buy it, it costs a lot. Yeah, like definitely. for us, the traffic was insane. It actually stayed higher. These guys also replay these episodes, which mm -hmm. we didn't know after every few months and things like that. So there really is like the awareness that you exist happens mm. and obviously... Um, it's huge. It's like free marketing. Yeah, of course. I want to touch on um, on your relationship a little bit because we've had quite a few guests that have come on who are friends or even family members that work together. And I like, because I like asking this question every single time because the answer has always been different. But it's like, in terms of working with friends and family, there is a stigma about it. You know, what if it goes wrong, ruins the relationship as well as the business. What are your thoughts on working with friends and family? And how has that been for the two of you? Maybe I think for us, it's a little bit different because we first met as colleagues. So we weren't friends first, but rather I joined Barclays and then our friendship literally started on the first day where after the morning meeting at like 7 a.m., she rocks up as we walk out of the meeting. She's like, shall we grab lunch together? And I was like, great. In the sea of male traders and just male presence on yeah. the trading floor. I was like, that's really nice. Let's do that. And then we just kind of became like, um, work friends and then the business trip happened we actually became like friends friends but we always had a very strong working culture between us because as sales and trading you are always negotiating prices you sometimes argue because you have interests that might be like ha might have to be um, um, consolidated and that made us really good communicators however we still like had such a long way to go because when we actually quit um, and worked on Why Hangry full time, can you imagine you, I mean, I don't know how much time you guys spent together, but I was seeing her more than my partner or speaking to her more than to yeah, yeah, like yeah. anyone else. And that relationship, um, especially if you have the friends element, can get a bit overwhelming. So then th since we started, I think, Although we are already good at communicating, we've become like so much better as well. Where now, I think she mentioned earlier, oh, we're like the same person. Mm. Like we often can like not read each other's minds. That's like so cheesy. But but yeah, literally. Kind of we know just what grab. The, the way we think. speak, it'll just be like filling in in gaps, yeah. Yeah, knowing yeah, 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 what yeah. the person. Yeah. And what I'll say is like, I actually thought I had no awareness of communication as a topic at the beginning when we started our founder journey. And coming from finance means you're set up for like we were like right every day it's like no no and it's like really interesting the way you act and we both understood it so it was perfect but I think over time you're like wow we need to adapt because mm -hmm. actually in startup everything isn't instant PL, mm -hmm. which means if you're instantly trying to resolve things or resolve like a, um, a topic 
it's not you're not resolving it you're building yeah, yeah. long term so i think we have actually come through a lot of like realizing how we speak things like never write anything negative over a slack message because you might just mean it very like oh no i disagree da, 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 da. and you just leave it in like a little bit of like a negative let's say aura of the message without overthinking because you're just multitasking the other person picks it up and goes ah oh, like that pissed at me yeah and then actually yeah. we have such a big impact on each other so we also have had some coaching but together like we both in the same session okay. founder coaching and i think seeing some of the highs and lows and everyone talks about it but there are a lot of emotional highs and lows oh, yeah, and the low emotional lows really are like you're just trying to figure out answers where no one's given you an answer so obviously there are a lot of lows because you're like dude i have no clue what's going on yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think having been through those together you start to drop your ego and I think now, like, Heinen is the one person I'll go to with war, and I'll just know she has my back. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that on the tube today. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's so true. Yeah. Like, you are that person, and I, like, 100% trust you. Mm -hmm. And I think once you move your trust, and that trust means, like, I trust her calibers, like, yeah. like we both equally deserve to be co-founders. Yeah. Like, I trust, like, her skill set is so high. I trust what she's going to do. Like, I trust the decision she's going to make is the best. And it probably was a... Like we had to see each other work. We had to give each other space to grow. We had to learn each other's skill strength. But I just trust. I think now we like 100% have this yeah. trust no matter what. And I think that's what it kind of takes to be like, right, okay, whatever. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Was there a discussion or sort of even an awareness of the different kind of roles and responsibilities that you guys would have in terms of like one of you is more skilled in one area than the other? Because also you're working in the exact same environment. So presumably you have pretty similar skill sets or maybe not. So maybe, maybe <laughs> so not at all. shaking her head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clearly not. So well, actually it was like yes and no. So we did it together. It wasn't just no, because she I was saying yes, I was saying no. Right. I think initially it wasn't very clear, although, as the product became more developed and as we like worked together for longer, strengths became clear. Mm. And how we split it now is like, City is in charge of product. She studied computer science at Columbia. She understands tech much better than yeah. I do. Whereas I did philosophy and economics and I head up growth. So we come together for like strategic things, but then each person also like runs and executes like mm. on their own. So that's kind of what we came to after, was it a year? Because in the first year, when it was just the two of us, you do everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's yeah, yeah. the point in like splitting? And you're like, oh, I'll also do that. I'll also do this. But yes, I think your skills and uh, your sorry skill sets and your strengths just make themselves aware. And if you are open to just listening and be mm. like, yeah, cool, that actually makes sense. It was very natural. And there was a lot of overlap before. Now there's like none. But now I think what's really exciting is we are. It's like we're so comfortable in how we work together. Great. Like right now. This is like a very funny month because there's like an initiative and it fully crosses over. Like Heinen's fully plugged into this one product initiative, which all the insights are coming from her. And I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever because I just don't, it's just so much to do Fresh all of eyes. it. Yeah, Fresh eyes. Fresh yeah, eyes. Yeah. And I'm plugged in the other sense, which actually could fall into growth and we're fully swapping. And it's just, it's so easy when you just have the trust and you're like, dude, yeah, yeah you yeah, do yeah. it, it'll come back yeah. to me. I'll do it, it goes back to yeah, you. Yeah. No, so it's, a key, it's a key part of the relationship. 100%. Exactly. And I think we want to always keep that open. And I think, the no the yes part of what are like we both are very comfortable like speaking to people it's just nice that we share a lot of common values mm. and like we're very optimistic we're gonna keep going we will make it yeah, yeah, i think yeah. underlying we have the same sense of optimism okay which is really cool because if one person was very pessimistic is one of you more realistic than the other i think we're both equally happy go lucky <laughs> <laughs> okay. sometimes maybe to a fault okay i think if you ask this really yeah. funny question in the 
in the team Slack, do you remember? Overthinking, underthinking. Oh, I did once. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was very... Yeah, I did, yes. It was very interesting that um, as a team and also like individually, whether you're more prone to overthink or underthink. Mm -hmm. And it's great to then have that awareness. So we asked or she asked everyone in the company to like say like a couple of lines about which one they tend towards. And I think both of us tend towards underthinking, whereas we have some great overthinkers okay. in the team so as well. So it's like bias towards execution is yeah. like yes. our protocol. And we're like, cool, let's go. However, because it's two of us, you will see these like waves and it's so nice. Like, let's say you start getting like there might be a time where I am thinking about some problems and I'm feeling I'm a lot more realistic. The optimism part is not there. Whereas Heinen will be like, oh my God, what do you mean? And then there might be another part where you are like debating. So I think obviously you'll have those cycles where you need to think, you don't know, but the other yeah. person will just come with like energy yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. like, great, you believe, I believe, let's go. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. it's really nice to know that. What would, okay, you say, nice. what would you say has been the biggest hurdle in the kind of early stages, the, the, the sort of biggest challenge that you faced? There is no one big, like every day, in, like the way I think, and obviously while I do this, you'll get a chance to think of the biggest hurdle. But my first reaction is, it's not like there's one big thing. It's like there's nothing that's happening. And you are just trying to, like, you're trying to speak to someone, you're trying to do this, you're trying to get people to hear, like nothing happens. Like that's the worst. And you're just like, dude, at least if you hate it, you care. If you like it, you care. Mm. If something, if someone comes to you, <laughs> they're there. But there's, there could be just nothing. It's just you. Mm. And you're just trying to make stuff happen. And you're trying to generate momentum. And I think just initial generating of momentum, how do you get that going? How, like, where does that start? Do you do this? Do you do this? Should you spend time on this? So I think it, it is allocating of resource. But all that is a subcategory. I think it's just like, trying to get anyone to care about what you're doing in my mind is like that's it yeah yeah, yeah. at the beginning days it probably that's it's, it's, it's a marketing side right i mean that's the hardest thing is just to be recognized and actually just get your brand out there yeah right i would add that um the pandemic definitely slowed us down a lot mm -hmm. and that made the first two years a lot harder that and i only realized this in hindsight because 2022 felt like rebirth Okay. It literally felt like Y Hengri was born like a new company. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we were also part of YC yeah. in Q1, which led to a lot of business changes. But still, like it just felt without Omicron and like generally like household mixing rules, it just felt like the we could was just do there. stuff. Yeah. Yes. could do stuff People without the stop and go that we had in the previous two years. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you manage to launch in 2020 and still make a successful business out of it, I mean, that really is baptism by fire, isn't it? To be honest with you, <laughs> like, if you can come out the other side of that, then yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Um, one thing I just wanted to touch on was was Y Combinator, um, how it came about and sort of what the process was that you went through to actually get that get that investment. You're the queen of applications. Okay. <laughs> Somehow, but I think you actually end up writing more of the actual application, which is hilarious. I remember my brother-in-law who had a startup at that time, he was like, oh, by the way, you know, YC applications are due like in 15 days. And I was like, oh, cool, we should do that. And then um, the CMO of Bumble at that time was a Y Hangry customer. And he was like, guys, you should definitely apply to YC okay. also. We were like, oh, okay, cool, let's do it. Like, as we say to everything. And we had this Halloween shoot. And that day I was like, oh my God, like, is this working? I was having a little bit of like a realist moment. And Heine was like, this is the best shoot ever. It's going to be awesome. And the application was due that night. So at like and four. The application included a video. And since we had videographers <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. Halloween shoot, uh, okay. it was. We grabbed them into a room. Yeah. And I was like, Heine, is this OTT? Let's just take a laptop. She's like, no, 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 they're there. And I was like, fine, makes sense. 
by the time I got home, it was 10 p.m. Heinen probably, or like 9, Heinen made it back even later. So maybe 10, 11. And the application was due actually like 6 a.m. our time. And then I was like, oh my God, so tired. Then we both were like, cool, we'll have coffee, whatever. We'll, we'll see you back online. See you back online. Let's just start. I remember finally going back and forth, patching together the application, being done at 3 a.m. And then saying, honestly, just that's it. It is what it is. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like our boundary cut off. But okay. we just gave ourselves... We actually do really well under pressure like this. It's like, it's just time bound. Let's just get it out there. And if we get it, we get it, whatever. And that's when, yeah. And there's a stat that 70% of the people who get through YC have applied more than once. Yeah, and we yeah, were first time. So we we got an interview, which we were like, oh my gosh, wow. Then the interview went actually too good. Whereas people have horror YC stories. So we were like, maybe we didn't get it. That was too easy. What's yeah. going on? And then they asked for a second interview and then we actually told them hey we'll go fundraise if you don't give us an offer so i think there were quite a, like our process wasn't just one interview in it was like one and then again and then email chase and shake up and then we got the offer okay so and that process probably took like four months i'm with you what would you say was the difference in experience between something like yc and the google program not comparable i think yc is like the ultimate game it really is and mm. i think if you can get yeah. in it's just the league is different. And I think that's because YC's obviously built itself. It gives you money. They take equity. It take equity. They're invested. All the, like our partner was Michael Seibel. He sold his company Twitch to Amazon. The guy has like known Airbnb founders. Like the depth and breadth of stuff he knows is insane. Mm. You get on one call with Michael Seibel, which we were doing, and we called it being in the washing machine. And then I could just, I was like, oh my God, back in it again. Next week, back in it again. And it was a lot for three months. And we really like, we literally ripped our model. Like 2022, we were like, change, change again. It was, it was wild. Yeah. So YC really is like, in, it was just like the best thing ever. Yeah. However, I wonder if we were in YC at the earliest stage, so early, like we were mm. in Google, would we have gotten the same info? Probably it's different. Like we had so much data already. You also learned a lot about your business beforehand, right? So yeah. So I think there is like a sweet spot. Yeah. YC could help you a lot, but obviously loads of people are pre-product, but yeah, I think in a great way, we knew enough stuff to just be like, actually, well, this is what we're going to do. I think the fact that they were much more vested than the Google program mm -hmm. made a difference in the actionable decisions mm. and the advice or the questions they were, they were kind of prompting us. And you can just tell if someone has skin in the game or they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But also, like, you're part of the founders now, which includes Dropbox, Stripe, Coinbase, mm. Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, you're surrounded oh, my by the God. best of the best. Like, this yeah. is yeah. it. That is the creme de la creme. Right. The creme and, like, these guys groom them. So I think that is just, yeah. obviously, that's not comparable. So you're just in the part of the community and you've just got the entry ticket and mm. you're like, right, oh, my God. Yeah, and yeah. now I think the biggest thing is now if you have questions, there's YC WhatsApp groups, there's Bookface. You literally get recommendations from all these insane founders at like the click of a button mm. and you cannot replicate that no. like if we didn't have that group we'd be searching spending time not knowing yeah that's so real. you unlock a very huge exclusive community that's some real benefit um guys this has been an amazing conversation before we wrap up we like to ask all of our guests um we have the same question at the end of every episode which is essentially if you could give one piece of tangible practical advice to the listener what would it be and the reason we say tangible and practical is as we know a lot of podcasts will do things like you know work hard believe, believe in yourself yeah. there you go see there you go. That, that was that was not, <laughs> that chore was not even planned that was not choreographed <laughs> um you know set goals this kind of thing um but we like to ask sort of something practical could be to do with marketing budgeting hiring funding anything anything 
anything sort of one practical piece That's of startup advice? related related to what you've learned in starting your business that you'd give advice to anyone who might be starting a business even if it's not a startup could be a restaurant could be mm -hmm. a plumbing company anything yeah actually okay i, I can go first <laughs> giving you steered me away from like the more <laughs> fluffy bit of advice yeah i was gonna say build mental discipline but never mind a practical one would be when people when founders start out, actually two things. Firstly, they obsess about the product and they try to cram too many features. All that is fully irrelevant. Everything's gonna change rapidly many times. So instead of spending so much time getting to market, you just wanna get out there and speak to people. Mm. You can also be speaking to people and asking the right questions like your target customer, not random people to influence what you're creating and like a lot quicker, like do that first. Whereas founders tend to be like, I have this awesome idea, it's gonna shake the world. I don't need anyone to hear this. And that's wildly stupid because ultimately, it's what the customer says that drives the product. So just do that, speak to the customer. That's the first thing. And it's a mistake almost everyone makes again and again. And then the second bit is actually second free advice. People always underprice themselves. We did that when we started. We we didn't think we needed to make any margin. We didn't think, we just thought, let's just get the chefs, but we don't want any other chefs. It, we just priced ourselves to the point where we are taking away from our own upside. And it's always difficult going from very low to then increasing and changing. Yeah. Just, and YC's advice here is just charge how much ever you can. Charge crazy and then go down. Mm. Like you'll always be able to reduce, you'll always be able to discount, you'll figure that level. But if you start there, you can like you can't go up as mm. easily. Those two bits. Amazing. I think my advice might be really, really basic, but I'm just thinking about um I was reading this article um the other day and it was about how starting a company, becoming like a founder can be quite elitist because you need funding or you need to be able to sustain yourself without a full-time job. So if I had known this before, I would have started not wasting my finance bonus <laughs> a lot earlier, where mm -hmm. whereas I felt like my first few years starting off in my job were quite profligate. I've never like thought about saving and all of these mm. things, whereas that actually enables you to do something else and to start a business and have a personal runway to bootstrap for a while before your idea is at a point where you can raise money. So I just think that is super basic, but it's enabling people or not enabling them from actually going into entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a really good piece of advice because I think a lot of people do fall into that trap where they actually don't have a choice but to stay in their job because they can't afford to leave. And, and you don't need to really go good. to really expensive restaurants all the time in the beginning. There's nothing wrong with Nando's. Nando's is great. Oh, it's I all love good. Nando's. I'm a big exactly. believer in this. <laughs> or a white hungry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> yeah, or white hungry. Yeah. Nice I one, Jason. <laughs> <that one. laughs> Not the master chefs, though. No, no, but that's, that's the advert. If only there was another way. And then, bang, that's where you guys come in. Uh, guys, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. Such great fun. Um, for anyone listening at home or watching at home, um, where can they find you? You know, shout yourself out. Yeah, so um, whyhangry.com, whyhangry on Instagram. And also, if you're listening, use Founders50 for a 50 pound discount. That is why she is the head of growth. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing, thank you so much for that discount. That is wonderful. Um, guys, thank you so much for being here. It's been an amazing conversation. If you guys enjoyed it, thanks for checking out this episode. Make sure to subscribe and turn on post notifications so that you always know when we post another video. And if you're listening on audio platforms, make sure you rate us five stars and leave a review if you enjoyed it. Um, why Hangry, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, thanks a lot, so guys. Much, guys. Thank you. Bye. Have a great time.